In this episode today, I'm joined by Mike Phillips. Mike is an entrepreneur who's had several different business ventures and is the owner of Blue Sky Ranch in Wanship, Utah. In this episode today, we discuss Mike's drive and what continues to drive him each and every day to succeed. We touch on some of the failures and some of the obstacles he's had to overcome. And we look ahead at how he plans his day and what he does to attack each and every moment he can. Also, In the Arena is donating $250 on Mike's behalf to the Saving Gracie Equine Healing Foundation, which was founded in 2014 and was created to aid in the rescue of neglected, abused, and abandoned horses. I hope you folks enjoy. Perfect. Mike, thank you so much, sir, for, uh, for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Thanks a lot, Bobby, for having me. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, we've had uh, known you for a few years now, and um, one of the things that's always I've always loved about about you, just in general, is the fact of how genuine and authentic you are. You know, kind of what what you see is is what you get, and it was a lot of fun to go through and kind of do some research for this and kind of dig in and see a little bit more of, of your roots and come from California and and yeah. So I'm really just kind of curious uh, along the way. I mean. Have you always um, just stayed that authentic and kind of true to yourself throughout and, and those passions have kind of just filled in around that? Well, yeah, thanks. I appreciate you saying that. You know, that's uh, nice of you to say. Uh, it probably comes from my mom. You know, she <laughs> she was, uh, God rest her soul, she, was, uh, she passed away a couple of years ago and uh, um, she, she outlived my dad by about 10 years. And she was always kind of the, uh, uh, the moral compass in our family. And uh, she was kind of from the ranching background and all of her relatives, my grandfather, all in the ranching business and different, uh, different aspects of cattle and horses and all that. And, you know, they kind of came from, uh, you know, kind of salt of the earth. It was, uh, you know, mean what you say and, and, then, and then, you know, do what you say you're going to do and, you know, have, have it so that your words you bond. And if you, you know, if you do that throughout your life, you're, you're going to be, uh, there's a good chance you're going to be successful. So she's probably she's probably the the inspiration for, you know, trying to just uh, you know get along and and uh, and uh, you know be 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 yourself and you know be be honest about the things you're doing and uh, you know and then things usually work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean it's really one of those things that that you kind of notice because it, it should be fairly simple to just kind of be authentic and genuine, but it's amazing how, how things get caught up in, in life and, you know, you're there's posturing and there's all kinds of different things and, and people are able to kind of see through that and be able to tell, tell the difference. And that's one of the things I've really always appreciated about you is that uh, we seem very genuine and authentic, at least to me and in, in our time that we've nice. had together. Yeah. And so, I mean, that ranching has always had an impression and kind of stuck with you into, into Blue Sky and everything else, because, I mean, you really had an interesting journey going to USC. I mean, you were really a, a soccer star. You were an All-American there. And how much did, like, athletics and that part kind of help the competitive drive and kind of throughout your life? Well, I love sports. I mean, I've always loved sports. I love playing sports. I still play. I'm 66 years old. I still am, you know. Um, competitive and and uh, you know it's funny when I go play golf with my buddies everybody seems to want to beat me and probably because I want to beat them <laughs> and uh, you know I compete hard but play fair and and that but I yeah I've always loved that um, I think that uh, you know competition is something if it's healthy uh, you know and you play by the rules and you're you know you're appreciative and respectful of the people that you're playing with 
uh, but you play hard and, uh, you know, try to win. Um, you know, that's, that's what's, you know, really great about uh, the camaraderie that comes with uh, competing. And um, it's true in business. Uh, I think it's true in life. Um, but, you know, one of the things that uh, I really enjoyed was always playing on a team. And uh, when I grew up, you know, I played baseball all the time, played a lot of sports. Um, and uh, I, I, just, I just really enjoyed the team aspect of cooperating with other people, uh, being able to communicate with them, um, really understand uh, what each person's role uh, needed to be in order to accomplish the goal and, and win the game mm-hmm. um, or, or be competitive. Uh, and, uh, and then the, the hard work that goes into understanding what the, uh, uh, what the things are that you have to work on. And, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I played baseball and I was a shortstop and uh, I, I went to school, I went to high school, boarding school in, uh, in, in Detroit, actually. Oh. Uh, my dad was in the uh, insurance business moved to Houston. I was, I was, I was there. I, I went, went back to, uh, to school there. And while I was there, Billy Martin was the coach for, uh, the Detroit Tigers. And, uh, probably before your time, but you probably know Billy Martin, you know, oh, yeah. he was good friends with Mickey Mantle and that. And so he, he befriended me. I used to babysit his son, Billy Jr. And, you know, he, he used to always tell me, you know, Mike, work on your weaknesses. He said, you know, look, in, in, in the major leagues, the guys that really, really do well are the guys that recognize what are the things that they don't do as well. And they just focus and concentrate on those things and, and, and improving on those things. And then uh, the good things, the, the good things that you're natural at, uh, well, they'll take care of themselves. Doesn't mean you can't, you don't need to practice them, but it's the weaknesses that can uh, hurt you. And so I always remembered that. And I've, I've applied that to all the things that I've done uh, in all the activities, particularly in, uh, in business, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, people tend to go with their strengths because that's what, usually what they get hired for, their specialization, those kinds of things. Sure. And some of the things that you learn over time when you're predisposed to that, which I was when I started out in business, is that there are some soft skills about how people are feeling about what they're doing uh, in the team and in the organization. And that's probably... You know, with team sports, that's the one thing that I learned early on is to, you know, not try and stand out as much, but to uh, cooperate with the other guys that you needed. Um, because if you throw to first base, the guy doesn't catch it, you know, you're, you're not going to get the guy out. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm just curious, have those, have those weaknesses stayed the same over the years or have they, have you worked at them and then they become new weaknesses and as, as new challenges and stuff through life kind of arise? Uh, how, or, or do those like always say that you're like, ah. Well, in business, in business, they, they, they come up, I mean, just like they do in, in any activity that you do, any sports, any association, any of those things, mm-hmm. you know, you make mistakes. And so you, you, you can handle them a few different ways. And, many people, you know, just deny that they ever make a mistake. So they never really get to that point where they say, you know, I made a mistake and what do I need in terms of skill set in order to be able to improve that? In addition to that, in an organization, particularly if you're leader, leading it, if you don't allow people to make mistakes and you criticize them, and then they feel uncomfortable in making decisions going forward because they're going to be criticized for making a mistake, mm-hmm. rather than talking to them about what this can be as a learning experience to improve going forward, um, you know, th- those are things that they don't help your business if you if you don't give people that forum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over time, you know, when you're building a business, you're building people as well as the product that you're 
going to sell or what you're going to do if you're building a blue sky, something like that. Mm-hmm. But in every aspect of it, it's the people part that make it successful. And if the people feel comfortable that, that you, you are um, helpful in their, in, in, in their ability to express their feelings about things that they are either unsure of or they may have made a mistake on, um, and that uh, you know, they can have a forum where you can help them get through it, not only that, point out that you, know, you can improve it, um, then that, that really helps your organization. It doesn't mean that there are consequences for you know bad behaviors. Sure. Uh, there are. Uh, there are you know mistakes that are things that people may just not know about or may not have felt skill sets, and then there's just bad behavior and those kinds of things. That's a whole different story. I mean, uh, there's there's uh, you know an important part of of leadership where you know there are lines that are you know within borders that can't be crossed, and uh, and those have to be enforced. And and um, but you know that's a, those are rare occasions, fortunately. Um, I know we hear about it a lot in the media and all that stuff, but really, it's 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 rare that you would have circumstances where there's a lot of uh, bad behaviors. Most of it is uh, that you know people are looking for ways to improve, mm-hmm. and uh, if you're a leader or manager, you have to be able to uh, you know help them uh, help them through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point because it's one of those things. Um, at least I see in coaching and in, in, in skiing and stuff like that. I mean, I, especially the new generation kind of coming up and everything else. It's definitely very interesting to see what happens when they get a little bit criticized or the fact that they want to be perfect and don't want to make those mistakes. And I think with the spotlight on social media and all those things, everything is just so heightened that rather than going out and being bold and and making some mistakes and, you know, I mean, life is consistently failing until you finally find that success that that gets you over and having that kind of grit and, and determination, you know, and it's, one of the people that I've had on here, you know, always talk about that, have being willing to fail and failing constantly. And, and it, it is one of those things that you don't really want to talk. You always want to talk about the successes because they're a lot more fun, but you always right. seem to learn a lot more from those damn failures. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, and I think, I think one of the things that I've seen in sports as well as uh, business, other organizations is women, women coming into those uh, workplaces and those competitive uh, areas and, you know, one of the things that's uh, different about, um, you know, women and men is, is, uh, is you know, the, the feelings that are associated with success. And, you know, one of the challenges as, um, you know, in, particularly in my business where I've had very talented women uh, has been to uh, recognize that it's important to um, understand so- how somebody feels about something. Because if you make them feel good about certain things, whether it's male or female, but, you know, um, Females seem to be more tuned into that mm-hmm. uh, and be more responsive when you can have that conversation. Uh, that that's a really positive thing in, and I think it has been a very positive thing in in business and uh, and also sports. I mean, it's a you know the ability for you to talk to your coach or a junior coming in and competing at that level, trying to talk to their coach, and you know, and having the coach be open to you know, well, how'd you feel about that? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, you hit the gate and or you miss the jump and this is that, you know, how'd you feel about it? And, you know, where's your head there? And, you know, there's, you know, I, golf's a funny thing, you know, um, I love to play golf and, and, and I like to, you know, do a lot of things, but golf in particular is one of those, one of those sports where when you look at the pros, um, they all have talent at world-class level. Mm-hmm. And the difference is the mental game. Sure. And it really is, it's that, half of one percent you probably experienced this of of really digesting what it takes 
to calm yourself down, to listen to what you know is going on with you, um, and then and then trying to execute at the highest level on something that you practiced all your life. And that's true in business too. That's true in any any time you want to be successful. Uh, if you focus on the end game um, and you miss the process, um, you won't be successful. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you may accidentally stumble on something. You know, that's always, a, you know, I'd rather be lucky than good. Right. But, you know, but most of the time, uh, the uh, successful people that I've seen and the most successful athletes and people that lead organizations and that, um, they're not terribly concerned about making the money or winning that cup at that point. They're really focused on getting one shot at a time getting one thing done at a time at the best level that they know how to do. Um, in skiing, it's one turn at a time. It's making sure, sure that technically you're really, you're really executing. Um, and, and so those are the things that I think uh, uh, in organizations, um, people lose sight of. And they, and they tend to, we got to make money. We got to make our numbers. We got to do this. We got to do that. Well, yeah, I mean, but sometimes maybe your goal is a little, you know, too soon. You know, maybe it takes more time to do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe your team isn't has, doesn't have a skill set yet, and that's your teaching. That's what's going on. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things where the more sensitive you can be about what those you know elements are in the process. I think the more successful you can be. Mm -hmm. And so, where did you kind of get some of those those elements for you through your career? What when did you? I mean, did you pick that up? Start to pick that up along the way. Or is it back yeah, I, I, I think I think I probably, um, you know, I kind of cruised through my uh, high school years. And then when I went to SC and I started to play sports at that level, I realized that if I was going to be at compete at that level, I needed to get much more serious. And on a daily basis, I needed to practice more discipline, uh, both uh, academically as well as uh, uh, yeah, in, in the field. And I learned that, you know, I was better off. I was always a guy in, 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 in high school that, you know, I never used to study. I was so social and doing everything that I'd cram the night before and I'd get a B and that was good enough, you know. Right, yeah. And then when I went to college, you know, and I was in the, you know, in a, in a, in a bigger format, bigger school with much, much bigger competition, it, it, I it realized it was like, if you're going to be successful, you need to, you need to start to do things daily. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you need, to, you need to have the process in place. And that's where I really started to, look at it and say, okay, well, that's, and I got success that way. You know, I was, I was better at it. And the coaches recognized it. They were, they were talking to me more about what I could do and what the thing is. And I was following that. And when I was following that, I was getting better results. So it's a whole thing about, you know, there's a synergy to having somebody coach you and then having that student, um, you know, or player, uh, yeah. you know, respond. So I think so, that was where, where I, I, I got that part of it. Um, you know, during that, that period of my life. So then after school, I mean, um, you, you start to go, you, you go overseas, you get some uh, time over in England and, and you get a, another degree over there. I mean, so you get to go see the world kind of, and, and does that give you an idea? You know, once you're finished with school, did you kind of have a, a direction of where you wanted to go? And then life takes you another, I mean, to talk me through that a little bit. Well, I, I was like a lot of young people. I mean, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I thought I wanted to be in the Foreign Service and sort of the, you know, Intelligence State Department kind of, mm -hmm. um, you know, G1, G2, G3 and all that uh, stuff. And uh, I, I was very interested in international relations, particularly in the Middle East. And so I um, I, I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go and, and do an internship. And, and I was based in London and I 
I traveled into the Middle East and, you know, worked for about a year, a little over a year uh, in that and um, came back. And, and one of the things I realized about myself is that um, that institutional uh, structure was very limiting for my, for my ability to be creative. And, um, and there was no risk involved in, in that other than, you know, traveling in the Middle East was kind of risky, but, um, but, but in terms of what I, my work product and what I was doing, um, it was working for a large organization, either the government or General Electric or USC or some combination of all those organizations that were much bigger than I was. Uh, and I was functioning in that role, um, doing reporting, traveling, um, you know, identifying a number of things that, you know, that, that, um, you know, foreign service would, would want to do. And, you know, it was interesting, but it didn't really give me that entrepreneurial risk level that, that I thought I, you know, I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so when I came back, uh, I, and I was married at the time, uh, uh, to Barb and, um, you know, and I, and I, we were talking about it and I said, you know, I really would like to start something where I had more control and, um, you know, could grow and I'd like to learn more about different kinds of businesses and that. And be more challenged and you know of course she's extremely supportive and so you know was like well if you don't like let you you should do this and i was like okay you know um and so that was really kind of the mental shift the uh, psychological shift to understand in my own um you know what i what i wanted to do for for my own self-esteem um you know i made a realization that uh, you know maybe a foreign service um wasn't wasn't what i was cut out for mm -hmm. um you know, so that, that was, I think that was one of the turning points for me in terms of business. And then, of course, you go through a process, well, what do you want to do? Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, especially, you know, as an athlete, you you have what you follow, you go through and, and competitive athlete, my own. It's like, OK, so what's what's the next step now? You have this thing, especially I did it for 18 years. You know, you have this label of like, OK, I'm, you know, I'm a skier, I'm a competitive skier, I travel the world. This is what I do. This is. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to be done. And then like, all right, this is like the main thing I've done since I was nine years old. Like, well, okay, what, what do I want to do next? And you try to figure out and, and luckily, you know, you have that great support and you're able to, to find those next steps and, and go back to school and, and coaching for me and, and being able to communicate with smart, successful people like yourself has, has been a blast so far. And it can, it's fun to you know, uh, I love to try and get 1% better each and every day and, you know, get a few things out and, and kind of what helps spurn the idea of this is, you know, if, uh, people out there trying to figure out if they want to be more successful and figure out some of the failures and, and learn some of the, the stories. Cause it is every, every one of these ones that I've done, it's been, I've had plenty of things to take away and, um, it, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting to, to kind of hear, as, as you get that growth and you take that entrepreneurial step. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you're on the right track because doing podcasts and really understanding what, you know, what, what successful people do and, and uh, you know, having that kind of information available for people to access and, 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 you know, and help them uh, particularly during the, the periods of time when they might be taking risks to go out and do some things that are different than what, you know, than getting a job or that, you know, one of the things I was a lousy employee, you know, honestly, I was always insubordinate. You know, I recognized early on, it was like, geez, if I was doing it, I wouldn't employ myself. You know, because, you know, I just, I was upsetting everybody. But, you know, it was because I was always coming up with ideas. I mean, my wife is always like, are you going to do that, you know, thing? And it's like, yeah, maybe, yeah, probably. I don't know. She's, well, geez, we got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, and, but, you know, she's predisposed to, you know, that she's good with it. 
-hmm. but you, you, there is a, a, there is a personality there where, um, you know, sometimes a person doesn't fit in organizations that are highly structured mm -hmm. and sure. uh, need more creativity in that. And a lot of times, um, you know, my former company, Phillips Edison, is one that we were doing the same thing pretty much over and over and doing it really well and making a lot of money. And that's great. Mm -hmm. But after 25 years of running it, you know, I was kind of like, and thank God my partner is such a good guy and, you know, wanted to run it and, you know, and make it a public company, you know, listed company and all that. I mean, that's great. It's great to have a partnership like that. Sure. Um, but, I, you know, I, I was kind of like, well, you know, we're kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bored, you know. Yeah. And so that was one of the reasons I spun, uh, you know, 38 of the employees of that company came with me. I spun it off and started to buy larger projects that were um, much more complicated and larger in scale. Um, and, um, you know, and, and it was great, you know, and then all of a sudden I was challenged again, really challenged. And, you know, I had to go into the capital markets and do a lot of stuff that I used to do when I was 40 yeah. and, and, you know, harness up the energy to do that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and at the same time I, I was, I was looking at, yeah, I'd really love to have the ranch, you know, be something that I could share with people and have a luxury lodge and a lot of things that Barb and I had, you know, talked about. Uh, in terms of the ranching and saving horses and, you know, all the stuff that we really enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, but to do it in a way that not only was convenient for us, but could, you know, be, be profitable and, and, and people could see the value of it. Um, so, you know, and those are the challenges that I really like, sure. you know, I mean, that's at, 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 at a high level. I was obviously, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself, put a lot of pressure on you know, my, my wife and that. Um, but, you know, we're kind of pros at it. You know, we, we know how to deal with the stress. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about dealing with the stress is that you can't take things too seriously and you have to enjoy your life, Yeah. you know, and if you have the right partner and the right family and you're, you know, you're looking at it going, well, you know, I mean, what if it fails? Well, if it fails, I, you know, I still put my pants on and you know, figure out a way to get through this and all that. So, you know, I mean, it's not all, even though there's risk involved, it's, you know, you have to keep things in perspective and, you know, know that, uh, you know, if it does, if it is successful and you've taken a risk, you're going to get significant rewards for it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, taking a risk without the discipline of being able to have the knowledge and experience to see it through would be like, you know, trying to, you know, run a ski run uh, in a competitive, you know, world-class deal with um, the old Kessley uh, Red Stars, you know, <laughs> you're probably not going to do very well, <laughs> and, you know, so, and probably not, you probably might hit a few gates and, you know, <laughs> yeah. all of that, you know, it's not going to be great, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, but very few people do that. I mean, occasionally they do, and, you know, hopefully they'll learn from their mistake there, but, uh, you know, you, you want to make sure that you've practiced and uh, you know you're ready for the you know challenge that are ahead of you, um, but it's it's a personality thing, and um, you know it's one that if you recognize within yourself what your capabilities are, you know you can be happier in your career. Well, I mean, it seems like one of the things you you touched on a little bit earlier is the fact that you know you start to get a little bit bored in your area, and then and then you you make that next step, you start to take more risk and everything else, and then it seems like you're a little bit out of your comfort zone. I mean, is that something that you kind of get to a point where you enjoy? I mean, obviously it helps you grow yeah. in all different aspects when you're kind of a little bit uncertain and you're not just in the Well, you know how it is. You know how it is when you're racing. 
mm-hmm. you know, you're, you, you want to be in your, you want to be where you're out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. but you don't want to get into your panic zone because <laughs> if you're panicking, you're not thinking and mm-hmm. your body isn't going to respond very well. Right. And I always feel the same way about what I'm doing. It's like, you know, one, I, I don't want to be angry because if I'm angry about something, it's a bad time to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to be panicked about things because, you know, I'm also not going to be rational and logical about mm-hmm. what the potential um, uh, decisions might be that you make coming out of those kinds of emotions. Mm-hmm. And so it's very similar to when you're competing at that level where, you know, you, yeah, you, you got to be on razor's edge and you got to be a little out of your comfort zone, sometimes way out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to get in that that little area where it's like, uh-oh, I'm out of control. Yeah. Because when you're out of control going as fast as you guys go, you know, you're probably going to go land in a tree somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's happen. one of those things where, yeah, I mean, you, you need to, um, you know, you need to make sure you're in that zone. And, you know, sometimes it happens. Sometimes you're like, oh, right. You know, I, I can't believe that. That, 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 you know, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, okay, you crash, you get up, go through, you know, it's like, okay, you get up the next morning. That ah, wasn't so bad. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm going to get better. I'm not, yeah. You know, it's going to be okay. And you learn from your mistakes. And that's what I was talking about earlier. It's like you really try really hard to, you know, uh, particularly when other people make mistakes and it affects you in an organization. It's like yeah. if you react poorly to that, you know, and you don't give the person a chance to explain, understand how they're feeling, where were they thinking about certain things? How did they get there? Mm-hmm. You know, they might have made all the right decisions, the decisions you would have made. The outcome just didn't come to where you, where they thought it was going to. You can't control everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you, you just have to be able to, um, you know, harness those things and try to, you know, gain some understanding of those things. And then you'll be, you know, you'll just be better at it the next day. Well, I mean, it really sounds like what also you're touching on when you're talking with your group, your different groups and leadership council and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, is the fact that you you know you're able to communicate, so you're able to figure out uh, what the issue is, and as you say, you went through it the exact same. You would have gone, done it the exact same way, and you're able to figure out the the kind of approach that they're taking, and and that communication yeah. is it seems it's really you know it's one of those things when I coach and everything else, I can't fix problems I don't know about. So. Well, that's <laughs> that's absolutely. I mean, if you don't listen to what's going on, you're in trouble as mm-hmm. as a leader, mm-hmm. and when you're either manager or coach, a leader, whatever you want to call it. I mean, if you don't start off using the two ears you got, you know, and then, you know, not reacting, but I'm trying to understand what the issue is first, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're not going to have people that will uh, listen to you. You know, most people, one of the things that I've learned over the years, most people, even if you're a really effective communicator, only hear about 20% of what you're talking about. I mean, really hear what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you put them in a mode where they feel that, they're, um, you know, there's no understanding there or they have a fear of talking to you about or telling you how they feel about a certain thing. If you don't give them that open forum, it goes to somewhere between zero and 0.1. <laughs> and, you know, and basically, you know, you've seen people who close their arms when you're talking to them after you've coached them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and, and, and then kind of like, you know, get, give you that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of body language that goes with that. And, you know, one of the challenges of being a coach is some people react naturally because that's been their conditioning with their parents or, you know, right. whatever, whoever they grew up, however they grew up, their friends. Yeah. And one of the challenges for a coach that you probably have and I have as a, as, a, as a manager is 
with different types of personalities like that, what are the skills that I need to elicit some of the things that will help them tell me mm-hmm. what that what that is, what mistake they made, where they felt about it and that. Yeah. And there are certain, you know, skill sets um, that you can utilize to, uh, you know, open people up um, de- depending what personality type there are. And that's one of the things that I think managers miss. That's I, Sometimes when I'm working with horses, um, you know, horses don't understand you when you're talking to them. They don't speak English. That comes as a surprise to a lot of people, you know, because I see people talking to the horses all the time. And I say, you know, that horse doesn't speak English. It doesn't speak, <laughs> you know, they just, they're just a horse, you know. So there's a, but, you know, there's a feeling that goes on between a horse and you. So the, a lot of things that you have to do with that is to make the horse feel like they're not threatened and allow them to have some peace so that when you do give them cues that are nonverbal, mm-hmm. um, they understand what you're talking about. And I tell people, you know, if you can, um, you know, talk to people as if they they don't really understand English, that they're not going to do, you, you probably are going to have a bigger, a much greater success with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be more uh, sensitive to what you're trying to, to understand uh, and how they're feeling and that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you'll have more success with them. Um, and, and a lot of people don't believe that. You know, I've done executive sessions with YPO and done demonstrations and stuff. Yeah. What's really interesting is a lot of times the management guys, the senior executives are so bad at the team building things and the administrative people that work with them are much, much better. That's interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. I, I've learned a lot, just just like we did the thing with Kroger one year and I, we, uh, uh, myself and another guy we were doing the stuff with horses. It was called What a Horse Can Teach You. And you go through and you do this, this really cool um, sort of uh, uh, it's 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 an obstacle course but it's it's not that difficult you know yeah i mean but it but if you've never really done it with a horse you you know it's kind of hard there's like six places you have to go and back over stuff and go through a thing and step over this thing all that and we we don't give them a lot of you know uh uh, you know a lot of direction we just tell them hey if you're if you're you can't come in and touch the horse but you have to tell the person what needs to get done in order to get the horse through that well, in some cases, you know, the managers would get upset and, and the people that were trying to lead the horse through it uh, would would break down and, you know, ha- and cry, you know, because the, the guy was so insistent to get this thing done that he wasn't paying attention to the fact that the person was afraid of the horse. Yeah. You know, it's like first things first, you know, this person can't even hold the horse. <laughs> and you're yelling at him, you got to get to the end of the thing to get over there. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And then you start to talk to them about what, what, who, who are, who's on the team, who are the people, and they only would identify two. And I'd say, no, you know, like there's three, there's three beings involved in this. There's the horse, there's you, and there's the administrator. Mm-hmm. And and you miss the horse, which is the most important one. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So you know, it's really funny that the, the level of communication skills, uh, you know, the higher up you go in the hierarchy tends to get lower and lower because they have more pressure to get to the end game, to get to the result. Right. And administrative people have to do all the steps that go through it or salespeople or anybody sure. in middle management, they got to yeah. go through all the steps to get there. Mm. And so they have to communicate well and they have to get those skill sets down. And so when you put them in a forum like that and you, and you, and you see how that interaction goes, uh, it's revealing about the effectiveness of 
you know, that particular management or that, that particular company's ability to communicate with each other. That's, that's really insightful. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's super. That's and sports teams have done it too. It's really interesting, you know, and yeah. it's like, you guys, I mean, if you want to be a great team, you know, you know, it's not just all about one person and, and that. And sometimes, you know, I mean, that's the story of Michael Jordan, you know, when he, you know, when he first came into the league, he was so talented and he dominated everything. And then, you know, the coach finally got him and, and you know, told him, he said, if you want to win championships, you're going to have to function with the team. Right. You know? Absolutely. All, all the major, you know, talented superstars, you know, Kobe was a great example of that. You know, he, he learned how to be a team guy. Right. You know, even though he was super, super talented and, you know, a superstar. So, you know, it just, it, it's one of those things. I mean, you go through a, and, and I could, I could give you a lot of other examples of athletes that I think are even more talented than those people mm -hmm. uh, in their respective areas and never won a, a championship. Right. Never won it. Yeah. Because their team, they couldn't, they didn't understand what the team was all about. Right. No, it's really interesting to be able to have that that kind of understanding and, and to be able to know like, all right, this is this is what you need to do. And it gives you, a lot of, I mean, I'm sure it opened a, a lot of eyes for the people that are partaking and like, oh, never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's most of the time, but occasionally you get it where it's like, ah, this this is much crap. You know, I'm okay. You know, I don't need that. And you know, it's like, all right, you know, make your own way. Sure. But you know, and a lot of those guys that I followed haven't been as successful in their careers as they probably could have had they, you know, not been in denial about what you know, what they needed to do to interact with people in a more, you know, uh, gracious and, and, and kind and, and uh, you know, understanding way that would, you know, which those are not words that you would generally hear in business. Right. But I'll tell you, if you, if you can put that in your organization or your coaching or all those things, if you can do all that, you'll be 10 times more successful. Mm -hmm. It may not happen overnight. I mean, right. you know, uh, uh, John Wooden, you know, failed miserably a number of times. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, winning his coach in basketball history. So, you know, yeah, it might not happen right away, but I'm, I'm a believer that, that those are kinds of things that, um, you know, eventually prevail and uh, have, you know, real meaning and, and uh, uh, you know, create a, a great environment for the people that are, you know, involved in it. Mm -hmm. What is a whole team built? I mean, it, everyone's a part of the ride. Everyone's a part of, of that journey and, and the end goal of trying to, you know, yeah, the ranch or anything else. It's all it's all family, no matter how many people are, are in the company or whatever. And if, I think you have more of that view of it rather than it's just, you know, it's, it's a more of a family atmosphere and you're all you're all in it together while there is the different, you know, obviously it is work and it is for uh, profit and, and money and all that. So everyone's making a living. But um the, the attitude towards it definitely uh, will make will make a big difference. Now, yeah, I had a partner and I uh, still have, he's still a partner in a deal that we did in 1993. And I don't know, about five years went by and he said, uh, he's a very wealthy guy, he's a very prominent guy in the Midwest. And he, he said, uh, you know, what's the difference between, a, you know, having 10 million bucks and having a billion dollars? And I said, oh, quite a bit. I mean, you know, that's a big difference. He goes, no, not really, because, you know, at a certain point, um, you know, you're, all your needs are taken care of, mm -hmm. you know, and, and now it's just a question of what you want. Mm -hmm. And so it's like my old man used to say, and he was, he, he was a good example of not following his own advice, but he always used to say, careful what you want, you might get it. And, 
it's true. You know, you all of a sudden, you know, you get to a point where, you know, you you have your needs taken care of, and and you know, it doesn't make a difference what that number is. I mean, it could be a million bucks; it doesn't matter. It could be a hundred thousand; it could be anything. Right. But you, once you've got those taken care of, then it's a question of okay, well, what what is rewarding in your life, mm-hmm. and what are you trying to do, and are you comfortable with that? Have you thought through that? You know, in what you're doing, and I think that uh, if you can. Uh, you know, recognize that it was, you know, he, it was great advice, you know, and at the time I didn't have that kind of money at all. I was, you know, I was still working and trying to build a business and, sure. you know, we were making payrolls and stuff, you know, so it was, you know, it, but he had already, he was a very large Walmart developer and already made a lot of money. And, and, you know, and so we were talking about it and that's, you know, I thought it was really good advice because it, it kind of forced me to look at it and say, well, I don't know, what do I, what do I really want to do? You know, I mean, if I am successful, and, um, you know, I feel comfortable, you know, financially and can meet all the needs of my family and that, you know, what is it that I want to do? And it was good, you know, because one of the things that I wanted to do is like, I wanted to have horses. I wanted to have my ranch. I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to do a bunch of things that I hadn't had a chance to do. I was building my business mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, spend more time with my family and, you know, be able to, you know, go whenever I want uh, to, you know, see my grandkids recitals and stuff like that. Because quite frankly, when I was building the business, I didn't have that luxury. I did the best I could in terms of, you know, getting to where I needed to be, but, you know, it was, it was a challenge and, uh, you know, and I, and I, you know, I certainly, uh, you know, did all right because the kids are all doing great and that, but, but still, you know, you, you go through that period where, you know, you, you do examine, you know, like, gee, I, I, I did miss a few things and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I don't want to miss them again. Right. Yeah, no, certainly. And that turn, I mean, so so when did you decide to finally make the the play? It was around two thousand four when when Blue Sky ran. Yeah, right? I bought the ranch in 04. 04. Yeah, it was great. I and we were just I bought nineteen head of uh, purebred Herefords, and I bought two horses. I bought Grizzly and Cherokee, and I told and Barb didn't you know she's a nice Jewish girl from the valley, and uh, but she always like said, well you know I re- I actually would like to ride. And so about, I don't know, two or three years later, um, she started taking riding lessons and she did great. And she's a beautiful rider. And, you know, uh, she's a good athlete anyway, but, you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's was passionate about it. And so that became something that, you know, we did together and, and uh, um, continue to do. And, 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 you know, I raised the cows and then, you know, Barb was not comfortable with, you know, me sending them to slaughter. And, you know, a couple of times we raised beef for, uh, high west and that didn't go over too well and uh, (laughs) that little calf's really cute you know and so after i don't know i guess it was five or six years maybe seven years of doing that you know she said uh you know i don't want to do that anymore i i don't you know i mean we had a lot of baby cows that had been abandoned by their mothers and you know different things that just happens when you're doing the herd and um and she said i you know i i i don't i don't want you to do that and i said okay you know i'm not gonna do it anymore and uh, so I, you know, I, I sold the cows. We kept the ones that had sort of been orphans and that, that we kept and, and the ones that the girls had named. And so now we have like 35 pet cows and they're, you know, they're there forever. And, uh, uh, and it's great, you know, and so it's kind of, uh, you know, been more of an enlightenment for me about, you know, I mean, I'm eating less meat. I'm, you know, I, I you know, it's just, uh, you know, the way we do industrial production of beef is, is you know, is troublesome from a lot of, different ways but mm-hmm. you know i mean um the, the, you know free range beef and that is is great but you know i agree with her i mean i don't really want to raise them anymore and kill them you know so yeah uh, 
you know, I'll leave that to other people and that's fine. Um, but, you know, it, it is nice to have an environment where, you know, there are certain animals that can, you know, live in peace and live out their lives without, you know, uh, killing them. Um, and then, you know, the horses really just kind of continued to evolve. And uh, when we, right about, I guess about four or five years before we built High West, we had an adventure business out there that was just a fun business. And we'd take people out on rides and we do three or four rides a day up the mountain. And, you know, it got very, very popular mm -hmm. and, um, and really busy. So we built up the herd uh, for that. And then of course, um, we added fly fishing and I had this kind of lousy um, trap shooting field that I was using. And so when we did the hotel, um, my uh, the guy that uh, works for us, the Stuart Campbell, who ran on Ghani up in Jackson for a long time, he said, you know, if you're going to do that, we should that it's just for you there. You should do like a really first class sporting clay club. So we did that, mm -hmm. and um, you know, so we just kind of like everything, you know, world class fishing and you know all that stuff. And and one of the things that happened when we did High West was if we're going to do something out there, let's do it at the highest level. Yeah. And so that kind of set the tone, and that's. That's how we ended up doing the lodge at that level, working with Auberge. Um, and, you know, uh, now we're just continuing to uh, Gracie's Farm, which produces all the uh, lettuce and vegetables and all that stuff for the restaurant and all the venues there. Uh, it's just it's just continued to build over time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've stuck to sort of that creed of, okay, if we're going to do something, let's do it at the highest level. So when people come there, experience it it's an enjoyable joyful kind of experience and you know hopefully they'll come away and have learned something there's a lot of experiences there that you know that people do and and uh you know enjoy it so that you know just over the years it's just one thing after another but you know we've um we've tried to do it in the best possible way mm -hmm. well i mean you know one thing it really just screams is, is, is you i mean you can you're oozing that passion of you know how, how it all started and and the, the things of doing it the right way and only to the highest level. And that's, I mean, the first time I was ever on the property or checked any of it out, I was like, wow, this is just absolutely first class, you know, and, and done the right way, you know, going next oh, and, and having those little details and the little things that, that, you know, wandering eyes sometimes notice, but, you know, most people might not. And they're like, wow, that's, you know, that's detailed. That looks great. I mean, you know, the, the devil's definitely in the details when it comes to that stuff. And, uh, is, is one of those things and, and the hotel, I mean, the O'Bearish Hotel is up first class and just the whole, that whole canyon over there, the whole property is really just gorgeous it is, as well. For being as close to the freeway and right next to Park City, I mean, it really is beautiful and it's got kind of a magic to it, which I always enjoyed because when I first bought it, I, you know, I did the fencing, I rode everything, I was, you know, been all over the property and just loved it, you know. Sometimes when I had that yurt up there, and now it's over by the sporting clay club, but you know, I would just, I would just get a cot, sleeping bag, and I just stay up there. Mm -hmm. And because it was, you know, I didn't want to come into Park City. It was, you know, we'd be out there calving it. Be, you know, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning, and trying to figure out, you know, keep the coyotes away and all that stuff. And and you know, I'd be like tired, so I just stay up there. But you know, it was it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And one of the things that Stuart came, you know, he, he before he came to work for me, he. He's working for, he had worked for Steve Wynn, he worked for Amagani and all that. And he said, he said, well, you don't want to do a hotel here, do you? And I said, well, yeah, I do. Why? But he said, you don't, want, you don't want to do that. Why do you want to do that? And I said, well, because I think it's beautiful. And I think we, I think we can share it with everybody. And mm -hmm. he said, well, if that's the reason, then you should go ahead and do it. That's a, that's a really good reason. 
Mm-hmm. And because he said, you know, there's a lot of rich guys do like, you know, lodge, lodges and hotels and it's an investment. And I said, I said, honestly, you know, it's a legacy asset for our family and me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just doing it because I want to enjoy it. And I'd, I'd like it to be profitable. Of course, you know, sure. you want to be successful financially. Mm-hmm. But if it broke even and it was just something that we enjoyed and other people came and enjoyed it at the, at the highest level, I'd be happy with that, too. You know, I have my other businesses and that's great. And and I enjoy that, too. But really, I get a lot of satisfaction at, out of seeing people come to the lodge and, you know, I'll be in the bar or something and people really be having a great time. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, and then they'll go out and they'll do yoga out in the trees. And, you know, they do a lot of stuff that, you know, some of the stuff I haven't even done. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm going to get to it, though. Yeah, that's the right thing. Yeah, you got plenty of time. Go check it, yeah. check it all. Uh, check it all out for sure. Okay. So, uh, one thing I just wanted to to ask for those uh, out there uh, thinking about being entrepreneurs or kind of getting into that uh, landscape or, or maybe trying to go out on their own or they're just graduating from college or anything like that. Yeah, uh, just just a couple pieces uh, of advice that that maybe you could throw on top of uh, what you've already given us uh, for this episode so far. Yeah. Well, the best thing I can tell you is you're going to face a lot of things that are going to seem insurmountable. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's going to seem like the darkest day. And those are the days that you want to just power through. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Power through those because you're going to go to bed. You're going to get up the next day and things are going to look better. You know, things are going to change. Um, the other um Thing, the other advice I'd, I'd give, when you're under pressure, um, you know, it's easy to have a bad day and say something to somebody or, or, or do something, make a decision that can injure somebody that you might have had a relationship and worked with for a long time. You know, I've, I've told a lot of people that work for me, you know, to be very careful of how you behave because you can spend years building a person and helping them get their skill sets where they want to be and, and, and being an integral part of the organization. And then with one careless remark or one careless uh, act or something uh, out of anger or something like that, um, you can destroy the whole thing. And, and those, are, those are things that are the most valuable. It's not how much money you make. It's how many relationships and friendships you have over the years. If you can keep those things intact and you make those part of what um, you know, people have in your organization or in, in your case, the people that you coach, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure you've experienced that. I had coaches in the past that, you know, said some things and treated me poorly and, I, and, it, and it ruined my relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they had spent years with that. And I persevered through a lot of those things, as I'm sure you have. But those kinds of careless behaviors, when you're in a position of leadership and responsibility, um, those are things that come back on you. Mm-hmm. And yes, the person may be disappointed in you, but you're going to be really disappointed in yourself when that happens. And that's not something that you want to have happen. You want to try to discipline yourself so you you can manage yourself, which is the hardest part about you know really being effective. Um, and and so those are the two things I tell you to be careful of. If you're out there, you're going to start a store or uh, you're going to start a podcast deal, and all of a sudden things start to grow and you need help mm-hmm. and you start to hire people and you took the risk in the front and that. And, and, you know, of course, maybe somebody doesn't do things exactly like you were going to do it or have been doing it. 
could be a better way, but it's just not your way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can, you can hurt people's feelings. You can, you can hurt their careers. You can uh, uh, cause them to uh, be unresponsive to the things and cynical about the things that you're trying to accomplish as a group. And those are the things you really want to avoid. Um, and then uh, when, when things look darkest to me, you just have to persevere through them. You can't, can't let it get in your way. I mean, I'm sure there's been times when you've thought, gosh, you know, I don't know if I can do this. You know, there's some really hot guys out there that are competing at a very, very high level. Mm-hmm. You know, you can lose your confidence. Yeah. You know, sometimes I got to tell you, I mean, sometimes it's like, is this the right idea? You know, I mean, this is, yeah. this is a tough deal. Yeah. And, you know, you got to talk yourself back into it so you can, you can say, well, I, I acknowledge that, you know, yes, I, I, it is a tough deal. And it's like, yes, it is. And no, I may fail. Mm-hmm. That's, that certainly could be an outcome, but you know, I'm not going to be afraid of that. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, stick to the basics. I'm going to get the process down and I'm going to persevere through, you know, the things that uh, seem the most challenging. And in doing that, at some point, you're, you're going to come out of it and you're going to look at it and go, boy, I'm sure glad I didn't quit. Because if I had quit, I wouldn't have won a gold medal, you know. Right. I yeah. wouldn't have had the lodge or I wouldn't have had a 47-year relationship with my wife, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and that goes with your relationships too. I mean, I'll tell you the one thing that is paramount that's more important than any of those things is to uh, work on your, your your marriage or your significant other, whatever relationship you have. doesn't matter what it is. Okay. If that's your companion, you got to work at it. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes those work you know, great, and you keep working at it. Sometimes they don't work out that great. You can, you know, people, you know, sometimes they grow apart. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a, a partnership where uh, that person is supportive, regardless, you know, of its success or failure, they're just, they're supportive of you, mm-hmm. not how much money you got or whether you're going to do this career or that career. And you're supportive of what they want to do, mm-hmm. no matter how difficult it is. And I'll tell you, I mean, my wife Barb, wanted to be a fitness instructor and had a gym. And I, I said, fine, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I was starting a business, very difficult for me to do that. But it didn't matter to me because that's what she wanted to do. Sure. And as a partner uh, it, and being a successful partnership, you know, you, I don't care how tough it is. If that's what the person wants to do, support them. Mm-hmm. Do what you yeah. need to do in order to get them to feel fulfilled in their own way. Because many people, that's something that they need fulfillment for. Um, and so, you know, that, that's probably the, at the highest priority, if you can gain those kinds of partnerships throughout your life, whether it's the, you know, uh, the, the, the intimate partnership of a, of a love relationship or whether it's a business partnership or I don't care what it is, it's going to be just, you know, good friendship or partners that, you know, when you treasure those and you get support from those, uh, you, you, you will be, you know, successful beyond your, your imagination and those people will come out and help you. Uh, if you really need it and you've and you've been you know straightforward with them about what the challenges are and and getting you know your your enterprise done whether it's you know coaching a world-class you know potential skier or uh, coaching a team or running a company or organizing a church whatever it is I mean it's basically the same thing you know you gotta you gotta pay attention to you know the people that are that are gonna help you mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm seven, eight months in to marriage, so I appreciate uh, all the advice there. So that uh, the 47 years, it's uh, definitely something to to continue to strive for, for sure. So uh, 
Thank you uh, so much for sharing sharing the wise words and uh, really appreciate the time. And, and why don't we touch on the uh, the charity that uh, the show is going to be uh, donating to today? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Barb uh, started a charity called the Saving Gracie's Equine Healing Foundation. And uh, about eight years ago, there was a kind of a disaster uh, down in Spanish Fork. And uh, there were about 120 horses and 40 of them died. And uh, there had been a breeding uh, farm, and the uh, uh, the fellow that started it passed away. And the son and the wife tried to, uh, you know, continue it, uh, but they they didn't do a, a good job. And then, of course, the economy was in trouble, and they ran out of money, and it's, you know, series of things. And uh, they tried to do some things, but really, what they did is they they neglected a lot of the animals, and many of the animals died. Yeah. So in Utah. At that time, um, cattle and horses are treated as property. So they're just like a house. You have to go through a foreclosure. So normally in a state that had animal cruelty laws, the sheriff could just come in and confiscate the animals. They couldn't do that in this case. And they were suffering. So uh, Barb and two of her girlfriends came down and, and rescued one of the horses, Gracie, which basically she she just took and and uh, couldn't, you know, couldn't stand seeing her and and uh, and then uh, they they went through uh, uh, these auctions that the horses went through, and she rescued. They rescued about thirty. She ended up with about thirteen. We now have twenty five rescue horses uh, on the Saving Gracie's farm, which is down at the bottom, right off of the Winship exit. Mm -hmm. There's twenty acres that we have now rescue chickens. We've got thirty five rescue cows. We've got um, you know uh, we had some goats for a while. <laughs> we just every time I come to the farm, apparently we've got a new <laughs> and uh, so it's a it's a charitable uh, deal that have people have supported. Um, there's a there's a drink called the Horse Thief up at the lodge and throughout the Aubert uh, collection, and ten percent of the proceeds and the profits go to uh, Barb uh, and Saving Gracie's Equine Healing Foundation. Barb and I have supported it over the years. Um, own the property and the foundation. Um, we continue to rescue one horse at a time. Uh, we have four or five um, uh, horses that have been off the track that were injured or were going to be put down. Uh, one of them was um, in the Puerto Rico hurricane, and we uh, spent $5,000 flying that horse up to Gracie's. Um, so uh, it's really great. It's um, uh, and really appreciate your, your support on it. Um, and, um, you know, when you're around horses and you understand what Kind of abuse they suffer sometimes. Um, you realize how appreciative they are once you uh, get them back to health. And so we have a full-time vet. Uh, we have um, the best wellness care that a rescued horse can get. Uh, we now have because we've been doing it for quite a while, and some of them were older. We have two kind of end-of-life horses. One's 37, I think. Pebbles is 37. A horse will live until they're about 25. Wow. Um, and uh, we have uh, probably another four or five that are in that 20 plus range that are in hospice that just, you know, we just let them run around. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them don't really go anywhere because they're so old, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, then we have, we have some others that we've rehomed mm -hmm. um, to, you know, really good families. And then um, we also have uh, rehabbed some of them and put them in the blue sky string uh, for the guests. And then the guests can come down and meet them, uh, have a relationship with them. And sometimes they will sponsor a horse um, we also do um, some donations to people who um, are in other states. 
that have challenges. Um, and we also rescue horses from some of the kill farms that, uh, uh, that, that are still out there in Canada and Mexico. Guys will sure. buy them at auction and then send them, send them out. Um, so those are the things that Barb does uh, at the foundation. It's called Saving Gracie's Equine Healing Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, very proud of it, proud of her. And um, uh, so, you know, people could come out and visit anytime. And, uh, uh, but really appreciate the support. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it's absolutely a, a, a great cause. And, and full disclosure, Mike, I have never ridden a horse. <laughs> I've never been on a horse before. So. Well, it, knowing you and, and the skiing that you've done, um, we can get you going pretty quick. Okay. Yeah. No, I have, I have to, you know, after this, it, it sounds like the, uh, I have to get, get the, I know my wife wants me to get, she wants to do some horseback riding. She wants to, she's been on a couple of horses. So you just let me know and we'll come out and get you on. Well, thanks so much for the time. And uh, I really do appreciate it. I'm sure I'll uh, see you soon. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it too. All right. Thanks. Bye everybody. Bye. Hey everybody, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And if you're watching or listening on YouTube, please make sure you hit that bell button so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Thanks.